Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You. We are continuing the series with nurses today with another interview. This is going to be with Angie. She is not going to be anonymous, but not necessarily leading people to go follow her. And so she is going to be sharing her expertise today. And she is a nurse in Wisconsin. And uh, I look forward to, to finding out what her experience has been as we discuss COVID and the pandemic and the mitigation strategies and sort of how we as a society are looking at all of this. Welcome to the show, Angie. Thank you so much. So why don't we start with the first question of kind of letting everybody know a little bit about your medical background. Yeah, I have been a nurse for 11 years now. The majority of that time has been spent in the ER, and I also do labor and delivery as well. Okay, and so in the ER, where were you over this last year and three months once COVID started? What were you doing work-wise? Yeah, so interesting thing is I started an ER job, Southern Wisconsin is where I mainly am. And I just started a new one the week of the shutdown in one of the ERs here. I do contract nursing, so I will bounce from hospital to hospital from time to time, but I have been at this ER since the very start of the shutdown. Okay, so the very beginning, it's like March 2020, walk me through it. What is the experience at that point? What's happening? How how about, you know, what was everybody thinking? And as, you know, working in the ER, what were you braced for? Well, funny thing is, you know, since this is my first day, essentially, I have never seen this ER before. I get one or two days of orientation. So they want me to get a lot of stuff in in those couple days. So I'm set to go. And there was hardly a soul in that ER where the majority of my orientation for those two days, I really saw nearly no patients. And so were you thinking, wait a second, this is supposed to be this really deadly pandemic that we're all supposed to be flooded with this. And you're, you're probably being told and being prepared for some surge or influx of patients in that case that just never came. Yeah, they were preparing a lot. There was actually several of us that they hired right at that time. They were setting up one of those tents outside of the ER that we could use and also several other rooms in the hospital that might not normally be used for all of our overflow rooms. And so those were several of the things that they were getting ready and just kind of getting set up to go and kind of training me on that. Of course, since we were in the ER and front lines, you know, everyone trying to come up with, you know, what we're all going to do when, when this hits. And so what happened? Did it actually hit? Well, you know, a week in, hardly any patients. And this is like far less than, you know, even normal days. You know, month in, still hardly anybody. I would go a full 12-hour night shift, and I would take care of one, two patients in that whole shift. Wow. I usually have three at all times as a revolving door, at least. So <laughs> to have that many in a full 12-hour night shift was not typical at all. And um, I want to say that that really lasted for a good 
two and a half to three months of it being, you know, pretty slow like that. And so at the time of those three months, obviously, you know, the country's panicking and everybody basically assumed that what we would see in New York, we're going to see everywhere else. And it was just a matter of time that it was going to come to all these other states. So then for, you know, some of these states where it wasn't happening, they're thinking, well, it's going to happen and it's going to be devastating. And here it comes. And, it, you know, then they said the next wave's coming in, you know, another week or two weeks. Like there were all these projections about when this was going to happen. And I noticed that a lot of the nurses that commented on my posts were saying, hey, this is my, my hospital's dead right now. There's like nothing happening. And that was happening just like what you're saying in those first couple of months. Now, granted, we know New York obviously had a lot going on in New York City specifically, but the rest of the country just did not look like that. And it was being promised, you know, essentially everywhere. So I have a question for you about this concept that they've created as it relates to the fear behind all of this. And looking back now, so fast forward past those couple of months and whatever transpired after that, that we'll get back to, do you think that the fear surrounding this pandemic has been warranted? Oh, not at all. And a lot of it played into as well that people really didn't have any idea what was going on. You know, down the road when I talked to more people, you know, they say, oh, we saw, you know, the tent out there and, you know, everyone preparing and, you know, you just listen to the news and, you, you know, people were really feeling like something's happening. And they were saying, yeah, we had no idea that there was really nothing going on. So, no, it never went up to par with that at all. I will say that here in Wisconsin, we did have a wave that started like end of October, kind of really peaked in November, early December, and then went down. So when it kind of started and I was noticing that we were having a lot more COVID patients, I was thinking, well, this will probably end up being about six to eight weeks, kind of like how, you know, I've seen other waves when I've, you know, heard about things across the country and, you know, we should probably be done with it about then. And it was just about that. I'll say that the ER was pretty busy that time, but again, it did not even come close to what people made it out to be because it kind of reminded me of a very busy flu season when you're just getting backed up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Does that kind of that six to eight week cycle, because I've looked through a lot of flu data in my data analysis that I've done, you know, as it relates to infectious disease and vaccines. And it seems to be, you know, October, November, early December, they're always being that first wave of the flu season. And then another one comes in March. And so when you're looking at a six to eight week time period, that seems a lot like what we would think of a, a typical, like you said, maybe a possible stronger flu season or, you know, who knows, maybe there are people coming in that didn't really need to come in that were so afraid because of everything that they've heard about this, where the flu people are comfortable with and they would just basically convalesce at home. I mean, there's probably a lot of that happening too, it seems like. There definitely could have been. And again, it didn't warrant the panic from everyone because the majority, and I mean the huge majority of people that I took care of and got admitted to the hospital were in their at least mid-50s, mostly 60s and up, and had diabetes, you know, high blood pressure, overweight. Those were the majority of people that were getting admitted to the hospital. 
So after the first couple of months, nothing's really happening there. And then all of a sudden, you know, some people are kind of trickling in. And then like you said, that there's a wave of this and you see who it's really affecting adversely. Was there a discussion with the other nurses of just, I don't think this is what they're saying it is as far as the seriousness of it or the need to be on these lockdowns or have these mask mandates, et cetera. Were there other nurses talking about this process and it not really lining up? Oh, yes, absolutely. All throughout at different stages of this, you know, people noticed that it was not warranting what was going on. And plenty of nurses saw that. And at this point now, you know, a year later, do you think that the medical staff and healthcare workers are still as afraid of it or afraid of it at all at this point? I would say especially in the ER, I don't feel like hardly any of the nurses are afraid of it anymore, even the ones that might have been a little more cautious early on. I feel like the majority say, you know, we're over it. We don't care anymore. Can we just move on here? Right. And, you know, at the beginning, there was another major issue with the reporting and recording of the deaths. Did you guys deal with that same type of thing where these people that have these underlying conditions, those conditions no longer show up on the death certificate, it becomes only COVID and for a variety of reasons. But did you guys, whether whether you saw that directly or heard about it in these other hospitals across the country, was that a concern for you? You know what? It's hard for me to say just simply because I didn't experience much death in the ER at that time. So I really don't know what was being put on death certificates. But I mean, again, people would have thought that I was experiencing death in the ER on a daily basis when, you know, that also wasn't happening. And then so for the times when somebody did have an underlying condition and did die, so not just at the beginning there, but throughout any of this time, was there any issue or, or discussion about what to put on the death certificate as it relates to, you know, COVID being the cause of death or other things being responsible? I personally wasn't involved in any of that part. So I'm, I'm not able to, to say because I just wasn't ever a part of that. I guess maybe the few I, deaths I saw that were totally unrelated. I didn't notice that COVID got put, but I just wasn't involved enough to be able to say do you think this was an issue that was happening other places from what you've heard and seen over the last year? From other nurses being concerned over stuff, yes, I've heard people say that they've wondered if it's <laughs> if the death certificates were really correct with everybody. And then there were some other issues too early on. Obviously, there were some treatment issues as they kind of originally decided to, to handle patients with ventilators and intubating them. Was there a concern over that where you guys were? I know you weren't seeing a lot of patients, but as far as treatment and putting people on ventilators that really, really, really had a hard time ever getting off in those, you know, those early months. And, and obviously we've changed some of the treatments since then. What were your thoughts on the way that it was being treated at the beginning for what you know now about it? Yeah, it's interesting. So from the couple of people that, you know, I did see at the beginning, that got put on the ventilators, the ones that I know got off of them, they were in the ICU for weeks, possibly in a month, you know, trying to get them back off of it. What happened, I believe, with that too, it was very interesting, is that these people would 
come into the ER and they, you know, walk in, drive in and come in, not by ambulance or anything. And they were saying, yeah, I feel, you know, sick, kind of short of breath. And we would put the pulse ox on them and it would read like 60, like something that's really low. People start feeling short of breath when it's in the low 90s. 60 is like when someone's basically on their way out and almost dead. And these people would come in, walking in. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of it got misread, you know, at the beginning too, of what these people actually needed. I feel like my ER did figure a lot of that out at least before our wave hit. Because then we would put a lot, those people, they'd come in, we'd see it all the time. They come in, it would be like 60%, maybe in the fifties, we'd put them on a couple liters of oxygen just with a nasal cannula and they'd come right up to the nineties. So there really was no need for the intubation, you know, once, once it was actually recognized, they didn't need that. And is that something as nurses that you guys kind of discussed as you saw these things unfold, you know, Italy and New York, and you look back thinking, you know, that could have been responsible for a lot of the death that we saw in those early times? Oh, yeah, absolutely. People, the hospital staff really did recognize that, you know, that was not the way to go. Well, it was fortunate, yeah, in your situation that you guys got to sort of see that unfold before you had to prepare for people coming in to where you were because you didn't have to go through that directly. I remember kind of watching that myself, just thinking, why is this looking like this here in Italy and New York? Why does it look like this when it doesn't look like this everywhere? Like, how is this the same virus? It can't just be deadly in these two places. Right. That doesn't make sense. You know, that kind of was one of the things that first stuck out to me. And then, of course, you know, hush, hush, like a couple months later, nobody's worrying about ventilators anymore. After it became this big, like, oh, my God, we need extras and other states need to help, you know, like California was shipping off ventilators to other places that needed them. And and it just became part of the panic, I think, obviously, at the initial part of this, too. And so as the year went on, you saw a little bit of that surge, October, November, December. It was manageable, right? Yeah, we were busy, but it was it was manageable in the end. And like you said earlier, a busier flu season. I mean, I think people tend to forget that there are years where tents are put out in front of a hospital for the flu. Right. And I feel like pretty much every year that I work, there is at least some point that the hospital comes full. We need to go on, divert, or hold patients in the ER. I mean, that happens every year. So when that was happening, like, we truly did run out of rooms, you know, in the hospital. But I said, this isn't the first time this has happened. This happens usually at least once a year where the hospital is just full and then we have to figure out what to do. And this seems like a discussion on perspective where it's like you put into perspective, hey, this isn't the first time this happens. This happens other years also where people weren't panicked. But I feel like the panic was part of the attraction to the media and the way that they presented this which to me made a lot of things probably worse because you had people coming to the hospital that didn't need to come to the hospital. You had people not coming to the hospital for other things because they were so panicked and fearful that they'd be exposed to it, that they ended up, some people dying from not getting treatment for other things. And so you've got this 
you know, media-based panic that was created, a level of fear that was created when it would have just been so helpful to have an honest discussion where nurses and doctors came out and said, you know what, this happens other times. We've been in this situation before. This is not entirely uncommon to have something like this happen the way that we are. We don't need to panic. But it didn't feel like that rational conversation ever happened and still hasn't happened. No, I never feel like it did where people were really allowed to have those conversations. It was just always focused on the panic. But I mean, I guess if you don't have people panicking and not knowing what to do, there's just going to be less control over them. Well, I mean, 100%. There's there's something behind all of this. I just feel like nurses were the perfect example of who should have been the go-to for how to deal with this. Now, we still see, though, you know, a, a split between hospital and medical staff because you still have medical staff that are completely buying into this. And then you have the medical staff that are saying this really isn't what people said it was going to be. And the same is true for the vaccine. So the vaccine comes out the end of the year. Now, was there pressure or has there been pressure for you to get it? Yeah, they've let us know we can get it. I want to say that over half the nursing staff in my ER haven't gotten it. So I won't say that there hasn't been pressure, but I don't think anyone that I'm aware of in my emergency department, you know, has caved saying, well, I'm just going to get it, even though they didn't want it. And so for half of the staff to be considering it or, you know, consider not getting it or not getting it, what do you think are the biggest reservations about it? Well, one, I believe that a lot of the staff has seen that we don't need to panic over this. Two, with it being very new and experimental, a lot of them don't trust it. And these are people who probably, or many of them, probably do believe or support other vaccines. They might get other vaccines themselves on a somewhat regular basis. And yet, even this particular one is a no-go for them. Yep, absolutely. And have you guys been seeing anybody coming in post-vaccine with some issues? You know, that there might be some dots to be connected there. I've, I've been hearing lots of reports of, you know, whether it's moderate to severe reactions and then coming into the hospital and having people unwilling to basically, you know, put those two together. Right. Especially when it first came out and people were getting it. I do remember even one of my charge nurses saying that she felt like basically every day someone was coming in complaining of a vaccine reaction, you know, saying, yeah, <laughs> there's someone every day coming in. Now, I believe that there's even more than are actually recognized by the staff at the hospital. Right. I'll recognize someone describing their symptoms when it started, when it got worse. I'll look at their records as far as when they got their vaccine. And a lot of it makes sense to me. My big thing is this doesn't have to be a matter of pointing fingers or blaming this or saying something is good or bad. The point here is just to make the connection if it can help somebody or save somebody from being in the same position. Right. Yeah. But that conversation isn't, I feel like, allowed to be had openly. Which I really just think is a, such a disservice to 
to citizens, obviously, because who cares what it means? Who cares who's going to be pissed off about it, right? It comes down to just, is somebody going to be hurt? Is there a potential for that? And how do we avoid it? How do we avoid the hurt? Like, can we get that part to go away, not just be quiet about it? Right. I mean, I hope that more people start to recognize this and, you know, can discuss it and bring it to light. There might be nurses that would be willing to, might be willing to talk to me personally about it, or maybe just a couple of us, but even just how other peers might look at them. You know, they don't want to, they feel like they can only discuss it so much. Right. Yeah, no, I understand that. And the last thing I will ask just to, you know, would love to get your opinions on this on two different things. One, what would you think over this last year and a couple months, what lessons do you think you learned through all of this? Or what awarenesses did you gain kind of over this last as the entire world changed and shifted because of this pandemic, which is supposed to be a medical thing? What would you say, you know, the one or two biggest realizations you made were? I will say that I already had a lot of reservations with the medical field and how things are treated. So in seeing this, I guess that just confirmed that much more with me, how there's many things that they do that I see that are really science-based and can't be trusted. And, you know, really seeing how I don't see patients truly being put first and that somehow needs to be changed. But, you know, what does that look like? And then how about as it relates to how this was handled, whether it was mitigation strategies or the politics behind how they dealt with the pandemic and how all of the, you know, the lockdowns and the quarantines and the mask mandates and all of these, you know, policies that are supposed to be good for public health and they're supposed to be for the safety of everyone. What did this last year teach you kind of about that? I mean, did it seem like what they were asking was reasonable and necessary for safety? No, it There were so many things that never were reasonable. And from what I know and understand, it really was never in people's best interests. As far as quarantining and lockdown and that kind of stuff, you mean? Yeah, exactly. And then the last question is to somebody who's still afraid, somebody who still is, you know, afraid to be anywhere without their mask, afraid to go outside or venture outside, afraid to be around people who haven't had the vaccine yet. From a nurse's perspective, what advice would you give them? I mean, for those who still do feel afraid to go and be around other people, one, this has never been what they made it out to be. So there is no fear there. And two, there is a lot of great ways to take care of your body and your own immune system. And those things matter far more than any of these other measures that have been put in place. That's the thing I would like to see most is really just, again, perspective and discussion with people so they can feel more comfortable and and remember the fact that we were always exposed to these different pathogens. We were always interacting and engaging with others and life went on. And because of the fear and panic, it's essentially changed the way that everybody looks at each other. Everybody's scared of everything now. And it's like they totally forgot how they existed before this. 
Right. That definitely has happened with a lot of people. I wish I could go out and teach everyone things that they just need to know about their body and immune system and how to keep that where it's in a great spot where you are going to be exposed to things and it can handle it. And that should have been the medical message this entire time, but it definitely wasn't by Fauci or anybody else. There really wasn't a medical message about health. It should have been this entire time and long before this as well. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to go over some of these things with me, Angie. And I appreciate the fact that you're able to have these honest discussions. And I hope you continue to kind of speak out with your colleagues when something doesn't sit right. And you continue to be a voice for those who might be a little afraid to say anything. Because we need more people being able to be honest so that we can make sure people's rights are protected and that the voices are being heard. Yes, I will always stand up and speak out and really just stand up for the health of people. Well, I appreciate that. And again, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Nurse Series on What They Aren't Telling You. And listeners, stay tuned to more episodes uh, continuing to shed the light on experiences from nurses across the country. 